Okay, this is Fundamentals of Fluid Mechanics, 8th edition, Munson, Young, and Okishis. This is Chapter 1, Characteristics of Fluid. The exam for this will be in about three weeks, so we'll be going through some basics um, just as a audio review. Okay, so introduction. Flow conditions can vary widely. The main characteristics we'll be interested in are the speed, the length, scale, size, which will include the dimension of pipes, um, the size of the filtrate under membrane conditions, and pressure. Fluid characteristics, primarily li liquid or gas, they are soft media, they take the shape of the container, they are constantly deformable. Shearing stress or tangential shearing stress of force over a given area will determine the tangential stress associated with deformation. Fluids have a continuous deformation of flow. Solids do deform, but it's a small initial change, whereas fluids will deform continuously, and we are interested in that as the fluid flow. A fluid is a substance that deforms continuously when acted on by a shearing stress of any magnitude. Almost no free space is between the liquid molecules, causing this transference of energy throughout the entire system. The density may be determined by the limits of the change in volume over change in velocity, change in mass over change in volume results in a density value which is contingent on four basic properties, x, y, z, and time. Unit dimensions, we're going through some basic quantitative descriptions. These will include mass, length, time, temperature. Force. Force may be determined as uh, the MLT system, which I'm not going to use because I find it very confusing. But the moral of the story is that dimensions must agree. So um, whatever system we use, everything has to be in that system. Fluid properties, mass and weight. Density is mass over volume, represented by rho, also kilograms per meters cubed. The density of water in the SI system is 999 kilograms per meter squared, um, which I actually think should be a cubed, at 4 degrees Celsius. So 999 kilograms per meter cubed. Specific weight and specific gravity refers to weight over volume. This is represented by gamma, so gamma equals rho by gravity. This can be represented by newtons per meters cubed. The gamma of H2O is 9,800 newtons per meters cubed or pounds per foot cubed. This is represented in tables 1.5, 1.6, and appendix B. For pressure, specific, well, we're still on specific gravity. So specific gravity is what that fluid's gravity is to water. It's the ratio of something to water. It's dimensionless. You just have to be consistent. So some equations, these are all pretty... We use um, 20 degrees Celsius for our room temperature. Mm, that's about it. Uh, pressure is a normal force per unit area exerted on a plane, real or imaginary, imaginary, when immersed in a fluid. From constant molecular motion and resultant bombardment and elastic conditions with surfaces, the pressure of a gas will actually increase with temperature. Dimensions are force times length negative 2. These can also be represented as newtons per meter squared or pascal, pounds per foot square or psi. Gas density is different. It's highly compressible versus a liquid. 
So we can re reflect that with the PV NRT equation or the universal gas constant. Real gases are compared to ideal or standard conditions. Absolute pressure is relative to a vacuum. The standard PSI is 14.7 PSI or 101 kilopascals. It's important to determine whether you're in gauge pressure or absolute pressure. Gauge is relative, so you take the value of the gauge and you add the atmospheric pressure to account for your absolute. So in this case, pressure of the absolute would equal the pressure of the atmosphere plus pressure of the gauge. Viscosity is mass and weight, but that's not enough. So because fluids flow and they have a resistance to flow, the higher resistance would result in the greater viscosity. Newton's law of viscosity is tau equals mu times change in u over change in y. This is for common fluids only. We're not dealing with non-Newtonian fluids. Mu is absolute viscosity or dynamic viscosity. It can also be referred to as just plain viscosity. And it is FTL length inverse 2 or pound squared over pound, pound seconds over pound squared um, or Newton seconds per meter squared or Pascal per second. Mu depends on the fluid. It is a constant, usually linear. Dow over du dy is the linear relationship that makes it constant. And if it's not constant, it's probably a non-Newtonian fluid or a Bingham plastic, which will have uh, different requirements. Again, not covered in this course. So kinematic viscosity is mu over rho. So the kinematic viscosity of mu over rho is equal to length squared over time. Um, viscosity tends to increase with temperature in liquids and it tends to decrease with higher temperatures in gases because of the increased molecular collisions. So going through some of the book information, uh, again, fluid is defined as a substance that deforms continuously when acted on by shearing stress of any magnitude. A shearing stress is a force per unit area which is created whenever a tangential force acts on a surface. Uh, rheology is where solids flow, but we're not going to mess with that. So the basic dimensions are also known as the primary quantities, and we only really care about length, temperature, and mass. Uh, force can be used interchangeably for mass because it has uh, a nice dimensionally homogeneous equation that you can go look up. Um, any theoretically derived equations that we talk about as far as dimensional analysis must be dimensionally homogeneous. That is, the dimensions on the left side of the equation must be the same as those on the right. If you mix and match them, they no longer refer to anything that matters in the physical world. You're just creating gibberish. Um, so SI, uh, System of International Units, that seems to be the primary one we'll be working with in this class. Uh, there's some nice comments about how to develop, you know, your basic units in SI systems. Uh, density of a fluid by rho is defined as mass per unit volume. Density is typically used to characterize the mass of fluid systems. In the BG system, rho has units of slug per cubic feet, and in the SI system, it's kilograms per meters cubed. The specific volume is volume which is the inverse of rho, so uh, specific volume equals 1 over rho, um, but it's more commonly used in thermodynamics. Specific weight of a fluid is again related to gamma equals rho times gravity. Uh, the specific weight is used to characterize the weight of the system.
Obviously, as gravity changes, the specific weight will change. Specific gravity of a fluid, designated SG, is defined as the ratio of the density of the fluid to the density of water at a some temperature. Uh, then ideal gas law, we have already talked about that. So uh, equation 1.8, which is pressure equals rho RT, is commonly termed the ideal or perfect gas law, or the equation of state for an ideal gas. It's known to closely approximate the behavior of real gases under typical conditions when the gases are not approaching liquefaction. Pressure in fluid at rest is defined as the normal force per unit area exerted on a plane surface, real or imaginary, immersed in a fluid and is created by the bombardment of the surface with fluid molecules. So from this dimension, from this definition, we understand pressure has the dimensions of FL negative two, that's force times length to the negative second, um, and may be defined as a Pascal. Pressure in the ideal gas law must be expressed as an absolute pressure. So when we're working with the ideal gas law, always make sure you're in absolute pressure. In engineering, however, it's common to measure the pressure relative to the local atmospheric pressure, but that's gauge pressure. So again, remember, for field applications, you're probably going to be using gauge. For mathematical or book equations, we're probably going to be using absolute pressure. Pressure is a particularly important fluid characteristic and will be discussed more formally um, next chapter. Viscosity. So density and specific weight are measures of the heaviness of the fluid. However, we need to know what the flow of the fluid is like. So to determine this additional property, um, we're going to use viscosity. So the fluid between two plates, for example, is going to vary linearly, and that's going to be our example of the deformation of material, uh, and that is a no-slip condition. So the experimental observation that fluid sticks to the slip boundaries, as between two plates, is a very important one in fluid mechanics and is usually referred to the, as the no-slip condition. All fluids, both liquid and gases, satisfy this condition for typical flows. Now the reason we keep bringing this up, even though it's kind of a stupid diagram, like it shows a bunch of angles and it shows, you know, a distance between two plates and um, a number of equations, a number of variables that aren't formally defined in the actual equation, which is annoying. Um, so they're not actually telling you what the value is. So on page 14, um, they're showing you two plates and then a whole bunch of numbers and some gobbledygook and an angle of deflection and blah blah blah. So I think what the important part here is representing is if we were to picture this in a pipe, right? If we have a partial flow in a pipe, we know that the water on the lower that's actually in contact with the pipe is going to be flowing more slowly than the water on the top, right? And that's partly due to this viscosity effect. I mean, the other part is the, the friction actually associated with energy loss in the pipe itself. But you know, that tangential shearing force is, is the dynamic quality, right? So the flow of the water is creating that initial force, U, that then is going to be acted on by friction at the bottom of the pipe. And that's why it's important when we're taking our samples, we want to get in the middle, right? Because if you see the flow of the water within that pipe, the top one is the top layers are going to be flowing faster, the middle layers are going to be flowing at average, and then the lower layers may not be flowing at all, or they may be flowing so low um, that you get septic conditions, uh, you get um, uh, like sediment buildup, which then impacts the volume of the pipe itself.
So I don't think they actually said any of that useful information. They just show these two pipes and then an angle and then a whole bunch of gobbledygook with force U being acted on these two conditions. But, but I think the value of that really shows that, you know, from a hydraulic standpoint, as we're looking at the water passing through this pipe, for example, uh, it is going to have different speeds. It's going to be flowing in different ways. And so when you're designing your experiment or when you're looking for your samples or when you're figuring out how to put this stuff through a pipe, like the important part is to realize that the flow is going to vary inversely from top to bottom. So it's going to be flowing faster at the top, slower at the bottom, um, which seems useful. Uh, let's see. So then moving on, we're going to have absolute viscosity, um, Newtonian fluids, Dynamic viscosity is the fluid property that relates shearing stress to fluid motion. So that's what we really care about. Um, there are some things like the capillary tube viscometer and the non-Newtonian fluids that we're going to be um, working with, but not, but not right here. So there's a whole bunch of gobbledygook about like developing the shearing strain associated with the, you know, the, the forces being put on that water, but I don't see them as being particularly relevant. So here are some interesting things. For shear thinning fluids, the apparent viscosity decreases with the increasing shear rate. So the more force that gets placed on it, the less viscosity it has. The harder the fluid is sheared, the less viscous it becomes. Um, so it flows smoothly because of the high shear rate. So this is a really good example, I think, for uh, drilling fluids, right? So you can pour the fluid in and have it stay where you want it. And then as you increase the force of the drill, you're going to be decreasing the viscosity. So it's going to be lubricating your drilling without necessarily putting an increased load on the drill rig itself. So for non-Newtonian fluids, the apparent viscosity is a function of the shear rate. For shear thickening fluids, the apparent viscosity increases with increased shear rate. So the harder the fluid is sheared, the more viscous it becomes. So uh, there's quicksand and some other things that they don't really, that aren't super helpful. Um, but the various types of non-Newtonian fluids are distinguished by how their apparent viscosity changes with shear rate. So the other one that we would not be looking at in this class, but it's interesting, is Bingham plastic, which is neither a fluid nor a solid. These Bingham plastics can withstand a finite non-zero shear stress, um, the yield stress without motion, so I mean it stays where you put it, just like a solid, um, but once the yield stress is exceeded, it flows like a fluid, so toothpaste, for example. So there are some graphs about viscosity, and there's some common fluids that are of interest. If anybody wants to go look at those, that's fantastic. Uh, there is temperature and viscosity relationship, which is known as the Sutherland equation. So viscosity is very sensitive to temperature, particularly in gases, because they are, you know, unconfined and compressible. And the Sutherland is mu, which equals Ct to the three halves over T plus S, where C and S are empirical constants, and T is an absolute temperature. Thus, if the viscosity is known at two temperatures, C and S can be determined. For liquids, a more empirical education equation that's been used is mu equals dE to the bt, where d and b are constants related to the liquid itself, t is the absolute temperature. This is known as Andrade's equation. As was the case for gases, the viscosity must be known for at least two temperatures so that the two constants can be determined, um, but we are going to discuss that a little bit more later on. Bulk modulus, so we dealt with this for um, asphalt design in roads. So 
that is how compressible is the fluid and we need to know that obviously because as you know as we drive on roads they compress and if we have an increased bulk modulus then the road will compress to the point where it becomes unusual or it doesn't meet your depth to grade requirements for loading um, so the bulk modulus is, is defined as EV equals negative DP over DV over V, where DP is the differential change in pressure needed to create a differential change in volume or volume V. Um, there's some also, there's some nonsense over in the margins, but essentially it's like P over V and looking at how that change influences. So they're, they're connected, right? So the change in volume equals the change in pressure at some value, um, but that varies non-linearly. So because such large pressures are required to affect a change in volume, we can conclude that liquids may be considered as incompressible for most practical engineering applications. As liquids are compressed, the bulk modulus increases, but the bulk modulus near the atmospheric pressure is usually the one of interest. The, bulk, the use of bulk modulus as a property describing compressibility is most prevalent when dealing with liquids, although bulk modulus can also be determined for gases. When gases are compressed or expanded, the relationship between pressure and density depends on the nature of the process. If the compression or expansion takes place under constant temperature conditions, we call this isothermal, where P over density, pressure over density, is constant. If the compression or expansion is frictionless and no heat is exchanged with the surroundings, this is an isentropic process, then pressure over density to some constant is constant. So P over rho K is constant. So K is the ratio of specific heat at constant pressure CP to the specific heat at constant volume CV. So that is K equals CP over CV. The two specific heats are related to the gas constant R through the equation R equals CP minus CV. As was the case for the ideal gas law, the pressure in both equations 1.14 and 1.15 must be expressed as an absolute pressure. Values for K for some common gases are in Appendix B, and the pressure density variation for isothermal and isentropic conditions are illustrated in a couple figures. I don't find them particularly helpful, but they are on page 21. The value of the bulk modulus depends on the type of process that is involved, isothermal or isentropic. Note that in both cases, the bulk modulus varies directly with pressure. For air under standard atmospheric conditions, P equals 14.7 PSI absolute. Please remember that. Atmospheric conditions, P equals 14.7 PSI absolute, and K equals 1.40. Again, this is in Appendix B if you need to look it up. Uh, let's see, gas flows can often be treated as incompressible flows if the changes in pressure is small. So the velocity at which these small disturbances propagate is called the acoustic velocity or the speed of sound C. The compressibility of fluids is that disturbances introduced at some point in the fluid propagate at a finite velocity. For example, if a fluid is flowing in a pipe and a valve at the outlet is suddenly closed, thereby creating a localized disturbance, the effect of the valve closure is not felt instantaneously upstream. It takes a finite amount of time for the increased pressure created by the valve closure to propagate to the upstream location. Speed of sound. This is a fluid medium. So, for ideal gases, speed of sound is proportional to the square root of the absolute temperature, um, but we don't really care about that for mock stuff.
It is common to observe water and gasoline evaporation if they're open in the atmosphere. When an equilibrium condition is reached so that the number of molecules leaving the surface is equal to the number entering, the vapor is said to be saturated and the pressure that the vapor exerts on the liquid surface is termed the vapor pressure. Similarly, at the end of a completely liquid-filled container is moved as shown in the figure in the margin without letting any air into the container, the space between the liquid and the end becomes filled with vapor at a pressure equal to the vapor pressure. Boiling, which is the formation of vapor bubbles within a fluid mass, is initiated when the absolute pressure in the fluid reaches the vapor pressure. Um, a liquid boils, again this is important for pump cavitation, uh, and I don't think you got it the last time, so let's try again. A liquid boils when the pressure is reduced to the vapor pressure. At the interface between a liquid, I'm sorry, in flowing liquids, it is possible for the pressure in localized regions to reach vapor pressure, thereby causing cavitation. At the interface between a liquid and gas, or two immiscible liquids, forces develop in the liquid surface that cause the surface to behave as if it were a skin or a membrane stretched over the fluid mass. Although such a skin is not actually present, this conceptual analogy allows us to explain several commonly observed phenomena. For example, a steel needle or razor blade will float on the water if placed gently on the surface because the tension developed in the hypothetical skin will support it. These various types of surface phenomena are due to the unbalanced cohesive forces acting on the liquid molecules at the fluid surface. Molecules in the interior of the fluid mass are surrounded by molecules that are attracted to each other equally. However, molecules along the surface are subject to a net force towards the interior. The apparent physical consequence of this unbalanced force along the surface is to create a hypothetical skin or membrane. A tensile force may be considered to be acting in the plane of the surface along any line in that surface, and the intensity of the molecular attraction per unit length along any line in the surface is called the surface tension and is designated by the Greek symbol sigma. For, this, for a given liquid, the surface tension depends on temperatures as well as other fluids it's in contact with at the interface. The dimensions of the sur surface tension are FL negative 1, and the values of surface tension for some common liquids are given in, again, Appendix B. So we're looking at capillary action for this, which in small tubes, which involves a liquid-gas-solid interface, which is called by surface tension. There is a rise of the column for a liquid that wets the tube and the free body diagram for calculating the column height as well as a depression of the column for a non-wetting liquid. So remember that a wetting liquid climbs the tube and a non-wetting liquid just gets shoved up it. The angle of contact between the fluid and the tube is the one that will actually determine whether it is wetting or non-wetting. Uh, we're going to be dealing with surface tension quite a bit, um, but I think that is it. So the goals for this chapter, understand the meanings of the terms, determine dimensions of common physical quantities, determine whether an, an equation is a general or a restricted homogeneous equation, Correctly use units and system of units in your analyses and calculations. Calculate the density, specific weight, or specific gravity of a fluid from a knowledge of any two of the three. Calculate density, pressure, or temperature of an ideal gas with a given gas content from a knowledge of any of two of the three. Relate the pressure and density of a gas as it's compressed or expanded using equations 1.14 and 1.15. And
don't think I did that. Use the concept of viscosity to calculate the shearing stress in simple fluid flows. Calculate the speed of sound using equation 1.19 for liquids and 1.20 for gases. Determine whether boiling or cavitation will occur in a liquid using the concept of vapor pressure. Use the concept of surface tension to solve simple problems involving liquid gas or liquid solid interfaces. So, fluid, units, basic dimensions, dimensionally homogeneous, density, specific weight, specific gravity, ideal gas law, absolute pressure, gauge pressure, no slip condition, rate of shearing strain, absolute viscosity, Newtonian fluid, non-Newtonian fluid, kinematic viscosity, bulk modulus, speed of sound, vapor pressure, surface tension. Those are all of our keywords for today. Specific weight, gamma equals rho times gravity. Specific gravity, Sg equals rho over rho of water at 4 degrees. Ideal gas law, P equals rho RT. Newtonian fluid shear stress, dou equals mu over du dy times du over dy. Bulk modulus of elasticity, Ev equals negative dp over dv over v. Speed of sound in an ideal gas, C equals square root of KRT. Capillary rise in a tube is governed by H equals 2 sigma cosine theta or t uh, over gamma R. Um, for this one, we completed 1.1, 1 1.2, 1 1.4, 1 1.8, 1 1.11, 1.14, and 1.17. That concludes the review session. Thank you.